But those of us inside the church, we see things a little bit differently. Um, we see that uh, the church is a hospital. And just like a hospital gathers all these sick people under one roof and doesn't pretend that the sick people aren't sick, churches gather sinners under one roof, and we don't pretend that the people aren't sinners. Truth be told, many people outside of a hospital are just as sick as those people inside the hospital. It's just that their illnesses are either ignored or undiagnosed. It's the same with sinners and churches. Sinners inside the church are just as sinful as people outside the church, but inside the church what we do is we take human misbehavior, and we don't call it misbehavior, we call it sin. And we deal with sin in a God-honoring fashion. We bring it out into the open. We confess it. We deal with it in a God-honoring way. And then people get better. That's what a church was designed to do. Churches are never intended to be a place where perfect people come to polish up their perfectness. Holy people come to get holier. It's where sin-stained people meet a sinless Savior. And when, when you have that intersection in life... The sinless Savior cleans up the sinful person and, and they begin to resemble, little by little, they resemble the Savior. That's what our church is designed to do. And so I want you to think about that today as we approach our next topic from the book of James. And the book of James gets to, in chapter 4, arguing. That's never happened in a church before, has it? It's never been conflict in any church that you've gone to. Right? There's always conflict inside, outside the church. So again, here we are with a relevant topic. How many of you have ever been at a family gathering? We've got the holidays coming up. And some people dread the holidays. Why? Because I've got to be around all those people I'm related to. I can't get away from them. Y'all ever have conflict during the holidays? Let me see your hand. You ever have any conflict? Some of you don't have any conflict. Yeah, we have conflict. So we're going to look at what James has to say about it. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. At this point in the message, I want you to conjure up the image, and you're not going to have to work hard to do this, the person in your world that you have the most conflict with. It could be a neighbor, it could be a relative, it could be a co-worker, anybody that you have conflict with. The number one conflict um, uh, encourager or conflict, I don't know, the number one person who, who causes conflict in your life. You got, that, you got that person's name in your mind? You don't, don't share. And if you don't have one, just look around. Somebody will share somebody that they have. They'll give you a name, you know. But, but think of that person. Now, here's the deal. I want you to think of that person the whole time that we're talking today because I want you to apply these principles that we're going to learn from the book of James today to this person. If you want to avoid conflicts, if right now you've had too much conflict in your life and you want to avoid conflicts in the future, you want to have less arguing, less conflicts, then you apply what the book of James says today. Does that sound fair? All right. Thank you, Steve. No, that was James. James 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? All right, here's the bottom line. James says that we have fights because of desires in us. And we're going to look at several desires, but we filmed a video for you where there are some conflicting desires going on, and I want you to see what happens with this video.
Sunday. Well, I thought that uh, everything went all right. I thought that the uh, low end of the sound spectrum was a little tonally dissonant. But other than that, pretty good. Really? Well, I kind of felt the ebony and ivories were not exactly living in perfect harmony. Mm. Well, that might be the case, but uh, maybe something's wrong with my bass because I don't know that it's ever played that many wrong notes before. You know, speaking of, I really felt like we were having some technical difficulties with the microphone because, man, those vocals sounded terrible! Well, Drew, as far as a bass player goes, you're, you're almost as good as no bass player at all. Almost. It's funny you should say that because David was a way better worship leader than you. You and me are about to tangle. Why are you so much taller than me? Because you're in a hole. Well, I'm not going to take that lip from anybody. Bra. I ain't your bra, and I ain't taking nothing from you either. We're not done. You you clicked it off. Yeah, you're gonna have to start over. We get to see the whole thing again. Just click it again. Can't have too much of Wes and Drew. Catch the facial expressions this time. So, how about that band on Sunday? Well, I thought that uh, everything went all right. I thought that the uh, low end of the sound spectrum was a little tonally dissonant. But other than that, pretty good. Really? Well, I kind of felt the ebony and ivories were not exactly living in perfect harmony. Mm. Well, that might be the case, but uh, maybe something's wrong with my bass because I don't know that it's ever played that many wrong notes before. You know, speaking of, I really felt like we were having some technical difficulties with the microphone because, man, those vocals sounded terrible! Well, Drew, as far as a bass player goes, you're, you're almost as good as no bass player at all. Almost. It's funny you should say that because... David was a way better worship leader than you. You and me are about to tangle. Why are you so much taller than me? Because you're in a hole. Well, I'm not going to take that lip from anybody, bra. I ain't your bra, and I ain't taking nothing from you either.
see, we had to have the ending. You, you had to have, go back and get the ending. Um, conflict is everywhere, even in the band. I told Wes we needed to film some conflict, and he said, just come to rehearsal. Um, partially joking. Now, did you know that you, you can have conflict even when you don't know how to talk? Have you realized when a baby doesn't get what it wants, it immediately communicates that something's wrong, right? So you don't even have to talk to uh, have conflict. If you're married, is that like just a recipe for conflict, right? I mean, because think about the things you expected before you got married. And how long did it take to realize that this wasn't what you expected? Because <laughs> there are three stages in every, every marriage. Stage one is, is honeymoon, and that could be anywhere from a couple of minutes to, you know, six or eight months. Um, I had a friend on his honeymoon thinking, how can I get this thing annulled without my mom finding out, because she'll kill me. Um, they, they, then you move on to the second stage, and, and in stage two, it's the party's over, and he figured that out like the second night of his honeymoon. And then stage three is, let's make a deal. Because you realize very quickly, you know, um, I read a book called... Um, uh, sacred marriage, and it was about that God gave us marriage to make us holy, not to make us happy. And one of the quotes in there, it said that when you got married, God gave you a full-length mirror to show you what you're really like. If you want to know how selfish you are, get married, and you'll find out because you're going to have conflict, and, and it's going to happen in, in marriage. And if you don't ever get to that let's make a deal stage, you're going to be one unhappy sucker because because marriage isn't easy, it's work. And, and when, we, when we learn how to resolve conflict in a healthy way, it can actually bring us closer together. So we're going to have conflict. Frustrated feelings or unmet expectations are what causes conflicts. And, and what James tells us is there are three basic desires. These are God-given desires unless these desires get higher than people. If they get higher than people, sparks are going to fly. It's going to explode. Here's the first one. The first one is the desire to have. The desire to have. Now, this is a God-given desire, but when the desire to acquire gets higher than people, then you're going to have conflict. James 4.2. You want what you don't have. You're jealous for what others have. Now, God created all things, and we're going to read this verse in just a minute, for us to use and enjoy. We're supposed to love people and use things. The problem is when we begin to love things and use people, we flip the equation. We begin to manipulate people because things have gotten so high on our priority list. And it, this conflict raises its ugly head when things get more important to me than people. Now, I need a volunteer. Um, somebody volunteer. Just somebody volunteer. All right, come on up here, Daniel. Now... Daniel, you're a good guy. Everybody say, hi, Daniel. All right, Daniel. Say hi. Hello. Okay. Hello. All right. Now, I have five crisp $20 bills here, Daniel. Would you like to have these $20 bills? Yeah. Yeah. What would you do if you had 20, these, these, these five $20 bills? Buy a guitar. Buy a guitar. Or at least part of a guitar. Yeah. You like, for like Wii or something? Are you, real guitar. Okay. All right. Now, all you have to do, with no help from this, the studio audience, is you have to name all ten of the Ten Commandments. All right? Ready? Just, just start. Just start off. Thou shalt not steal. Not steal. Give him a hand. He's got one. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Adultery. He's got two. 
That's it. All right, give him a hand. Give him a hand. Go sit down. Anybody else want to give it a try? Kimberly. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet the neighbor's... No. <laughs> wait, wait, what did you say there? Thou shalt not covet the neighbor's wife. House. Cover? Covet. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Great. Can't you... No, 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 no. You, oh, you got, got you got a time limit here. Oh, I do. <laughs> Man. We just have so much time. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It's like is that six or is that seven? Thou shalt murder, kill, steal, bear false witness, covet. All right, all right. That's good. That's good. Now, that's good. She's, she got closer than anybody ever has. Now, I will give you $20 if you can tell me the last one. And you've already said it. First four against God. Dude, she is working this out. She is look, working for some money here. The last one, number 10. No, she said steal. Danielle actually got it. Tell him. Thou shalt not covet. All right. Now, I was actually a little nervous there, Kimberly. I thought I was going to have to give you my hundred bucks. Now, the reason I did that, the last of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet. And it says thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife or his oxen or anything that your neighbor has. And here's the important thing about that. All of the other nine commandments have something to do with actions. Coveting has to do with thinking. And if you think about something long enough, you're eventually going to put that into action. The last commandment, thou shalt not covet, if you begin to covet something, you can break every one of the other ten commandments. All right, you with me? So, here's what we're going to look at. Selfishness is coveting what someone else has, and selfishness leads to war. Selfishness causes me to break all of the Ten Commandments. And that's because the principle that we looked at last week in the book of James was that whatever is on the inside of you is going to come out. Remember, Jesus said it this way. He said, your words show what is in your heart. James says, you speak out of the overflow of what's in your heart. He says, what's on the inside is going to come out. If you have good words, James says that you've got a good heart. If you've got bad words coming out, then you've got a bad heart. And so if there is war in your heart, that's selfishness, your desires are at war on the inside. If there's war on the inside, there's going to be war on the outside. If there's peace on the inside, like we prayed about and we sang about, then there's going to be peace on the outside. Whatever's on the inside is going to come out. And people who are at war with themselves are unhappy people. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you're around someone who's chronically unhappy, you can look at the condition of their heart and there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no satisfaction. Instead of being thankful for what they do have, they're envious about what other people have. They're never looking at their own circumstances and saying it could be worse. They're looking at somebody else's and going, man, it could be better if I had what they have. And so if you are a selfish person, this desire to acquire, if it's number one in your life, you will have conflict with other people. Now there's a second thing. It's the desire to feel. James 4.3 says, You want only what will give you pleasure. 
Now, all of us like to have pleasure, right? I love the feeling of, you know, when you're going fast. We were jet skiing this past summer, and, and I get kind of in trouble with my youngest daughter, Hannah. She's really kind of a, a, a wild woman when it comes to stuff like that. But I have done some things that have scared her. So we're on this jet ski, and, you know, we got up to 70 miles an hour on the jet ski, and she's like, Daddy, don't turn, don't turn. You know, she's holding on white knuckling the thing. Well, I started going around, and I'm hopping, and I'm going sideways, and, and I, I, I actually hopped way higher than I intended to with Hannah, my 8-year-old, on the front of, of the jet ski. And the nose of the jet ski went down right as a wave was coming up, and it went all over us. And I came up, and I'm thinking, oh, no, I've ruined it. She'll never ride with me again. She goes, do it again, Dad, do it again. I'm like, sweet, and I start going. I love that feeling. I love going fast on skis and, and four-wheelers. I love that feeling. There's nothing wrong with feelings. And look what, what God even says about enjoying life. 1 Timothy 6.17 God richly gives us everything to enjoy. But when my pleasure becomes my number one goal, and I don't give a rip what you feel, my pleasures are more important than your pleasures, we're going to have conflict. Why do married people argue about sex? Because the desire for pleasure is strong. God created it. And every time I say sex, people are like, we're going to have a whole six-week series next year on sex. I'm just warning you now. We're going to say sex over and over. Thank you. (laughs) But the desire for pleasure, God created desire. When it gets out of whack, we're going to have arguments. Why do people argue over alcohol, drugs? Because the desire for their personal pleasure becomes more important than relationship. Why do people argue over hobbies? Because what is fun for one person might not be fun for the other person. Why do people argue over going to the in-laws for the holidays? Well, that's just common sense. But that's... I'm kidding. kidding. What's pleasurable for you may be torture for someone else. And if my desire for pleasure... um, comes higher than my desire to have a relationship with you, we will have conflict. There's a third desire, and that's the desire to be known or to be acknowledged. At least 30 to 40 times a day, I hear these words, Daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch this. Daddy, come here. Daddy, 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 watch this. Daddy, watch this. Daddy, watch this. And my kids don't just want me to watch. They want me to respond. And, um, and, and it's great because, like last night... Um, I'm tired. I've been on a tractor for most of two days, and, and I, was, I was working, just having, you know, getting, getting stuff fixed up, and I was tired. I just wanted to sit down and watch TV, and so I sat down. I'm just kind of edging there, and the girls are playing. They're having a good time, and all of a sudden, they disappear, and I didn't think anything of it. I'm, I'm, I don't even remember what we were watching, but, but all of a sudden, I see out of the corner of my eye, I'm looking down the hallway. I'm watching TV, and down the hall, I see these two figures come out of Hannah's room, and they're wrapped up in blankets, and, and, and Hannah and, and Rachel know this very well. They're, they're pretty smart. I hear, please pause the television show. And, and I said, what? Please pause the television show. And what that means is put it on pause so that you can focus on them. So they come busted in. They were dressed up. They had this dance routine. I get dance routines all the time. Daddy, watch this dance routine. And they're good. They're, they're hilarious fun. But she knows. Watch me, not TV. She's learned that. You know, DVR is a good thing for relationships nowadays. So... When we're children, we, Daddy, watch this. Mama, watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. We do the same thing as adults. Watch me by what I wear. Look at this label. Watch me by what I drive. 
You remember I said it, I'm going to say it again. The only people who care what you drive are you and really shallow people who suck. I mean, come on, nobody cares what you drive. But we get all caught up in that. Watch me by what I wear, by what I drive, by what I put in my house. Watch me, watch me. We do it, right? And when my desire to be known gets above a relationship with you, we are going to have conflict. Look at uh, Proverbs 13.10. This is your, on your memory verse card for this week. And look how many words are on your memory verse card this week. Y'all think you might can handle this one? Pride leads to what? Every married couple here needs to memorize this verse. If you think marriage may be somewhere in your future, if you know someone who's going to get married, they should memorize this verse. Why? Because have you ever been in an argument where you knew you were wrong and you didn't want to admit it? You knew it? Why didn't you want to admit it? Because pride. And the Bible says pride leads to arguments, but... but There are two huge, huge problems. Pride makes us stupid, but James identifies two huge problems that come because of pride in our lives. Verses 2 and 3. The reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. All right, here are the the two desires that aren't, uh, two reasons our desires aren't fulfilled. Number one, we don't pray. Number two, we look to the wrong source. We don't ask God, and we look to people to fill our needs instead of God. The Bible says, when you do pray, you ask with wrong motives. Oh, God, I had a kid in my first, well, not my first youth group, my first full-time youth group um, had this kid, and he was convinced that God was going to let him win the lottery because he'd already told God he would give him 50%. And, and so this was you know, back in the, in the early 90s. He, he was serious. He was always praying. He said, God's going to let me win the lottery because I'm going to give him 50% because I'm not going to use all of it. I'm going I'm to set some aside, but 50% is going to God, so God's going to give me the lottery. I have a friend who calls me every now and then. He says, say a prayer. I bought a lottery ticket today because and, 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 he's going to buy me a church. Whenever he hits the lottery, that's what he said. He's going to buy me a church. And I'm like, we got a church. And he said, well, we'll pay this one off. I said, Okay, but I, I, I don't pray for that. I mean, I think God wants to supply our needs. And in fact, we'll, Philippians 4.19, it says, This same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ. So when we pray, a lot of times, Oh God, let me marry this person. Oh God, give me this date. If I just had that date, I would be happy. Oh God, this job, this house, this car, this computer, this vacation. I need a timeshare, God. I mean, we pray with selfish motives. Is it any wonder that God doesn't answer that type of prayer because all we want is something for ourselves? The real problem is we go to people to try to fulfill our needs instead of God, and God doesn't answer prayers of selfish people. And, and this whole condition of, of God meeting our needs is prayer. But we'd rather fight than pray. When I'm, when I'm having a disagreement with my wife, the fur, furthest thing from my mind is praying because I'm a selfish person. I'd rather argue about something than ask God for an answer. James says, that's the problem, you dork, is you don't talk to God, or when you do talk to God, you're selfish. In the next verse, he tells us what pride does to us. It causes conflict with God. Verse 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you want a fight with God, be proud. 
And, and I'll just tell you this, you're going to lose. Have you ever noticed how when you get full of yourself, God has a way of orchestrating events that burst your bubble? You're going to lose when you fight against God. To be in, in opposition with God is a dangerous place to be. Well, if pride is one of those things that causes arguments, you know, all these desires that war within me, if that's what causes arguments, then what causes us not to argue? Well, the cure is humility. Verse 6, it said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Grace is God's power to change. Whatever it is you don't like about you or your relationship or your, your life, grace is what you need to change it. And grace only comes from one source in this universe, and that's God. What do you want to change about your relationships, your marriage, your family? Whatever you want to change, that's what you need grace for. There's only one way to get it. You become humble before God. God says when you are humble, that's when you're in a position that you can receive what He wants to give you, and He will lift you up. He gives it when we say, I need your help. Now, James is going to give us four very practical sentences about how we can be humble, how we can avoid arguments. Short sentences, very practical. Here we go. Number one, give God control. Um, Y'all know what this is? It's a remote control. This is like the scepter in our house. And, and whenever, whenever you know, I'm, I'm humble... I hand this to my wife. What? Yeah, y'all didn't even know it worked for women, right? Yeah, you didn't know that. I give the remote to my wife or my children. I mean, that's a big deal in our house. Some of the stuff we have to watch in my house. It's, it's, it's humbling to hand this and they do the little channel and it goes to kids and we watch Hannah Montana till I puke Hannah Montana and we watch um, Phineas and Ferb and... We used to watch Ned's Declassified something or other and Spongebob. Anyway, when you give God control, you're saying, God, I'm, I'm not going to try to pull the strings. I'm not going to try to orchestrate this stuff. You are in charge. He's in charge anyway. He's just waiting for you to admit that. Now, if you are in charge, though, and somebody comes along who doesn't agree with your agenda, what's going to happen? Conflict, right. The real issue is who's in charge inside of you? Who controls your life? If God's in control, then when annoying people come, those sandpaper people, they just grate on you. If God's in control, they don't irritate you as badly or as quickly. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. We have to have the peace of God in our hearts so that it will spill out and, and if we don't, we try to manipulate others. So give God control. Second thing is recognize your enemy. James 4, 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And you may say, I know full well who my enemy is. It's Wes. It's my next door neighbor. No, your real enemy, according to the Bible, doesn't wear flesh and blood. Your real enemy wants to destroy you and wants to mess up your relationships. He wants marriages to fail. He wants people to cheat. He wants businesses to fail. He wants Christians to fall flat on their faces so that people outside of this hospital see it and they say, ain't no way I'm going there. He wants us to fail. Our real enemy is Satan. And this term resist is a war term. What you need is supernatural power to deal with a supernatural enemy. 
since none of us are supernatural, the only one we go to is the one who was dead, was in the tomb, and has been raised from the dead. The Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to His followers, but the condition is prayer. So if you want to resist the devil, you got to pray, you got to uh, come to God, and then He will give you the power to resist. And, and if you think about how our enemy operates, he, he deals with our wounded pride. He tells us this little trash in our ears. Somebody says something and, and he whispers, you don't have to take that. You should get even. He whispers these things because our pride is wounded. And, and God says, that's not even that big a deal. Remember, pride leads to arguments. Do you remember how Jesus resisted the devil? He quoted Scripture. I got the shortest verse I could for you this week so that maybe we would memorize this the next time we're in an argument we could remember pride leads to argument and we could be, we could start asking how am I being prideful how am I not looking out for someone else how am I being a jerk in this situation instead of trying to figure out how the other person is a jerk God's word is powerful but too many Christians are weak we don't know it the Bible promises that when we resist the devil he will flee from us you resist just like Jesus did the devil will flee Third thing is move towards God. All right, you give God control, you recognize your enemy, and you move towards God. James 4.8 says, draw close to God and God will draw close to you. Well, how in the world does this affect arguments? Well, how do you think you get closer to God? Just tell me the Sunday school answers of how you get closer to God. Pray. What? Submit. Read what? The Bible. I mean, in Sunday school, it was always God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. Those were your four answers that you gave growing up in Sunday school. So you, you read the Bible. You pray. You get with other people who are strong Christians. You ask them to pray with you and for you. And you begin to draw closer to God. And then God gives you some amazing power. The more time you spend with God, the more you're going to enjoy the rest of your time. The conflict in your life is in direct proportion to the amount of time you spent with God. I guarantee you, the more conflict I have, the more conflict I have with my wife, one of us or both of us is not spending time with God, and we are jerks because of it. When I spend time with God, He gives me a tender heart. When I spend time with God, He makes me more understanding of my wife and my children and everyone around me. And the same is true for you. God will draw close to you if you draw close to Him. And then the fourth thing is ask for forgiveness. And those of you who are paying attention, you know this was one of the 15 words that will change your life that we talked about last week. And I'm repeating it because we're slow. We're slow learners, and the Bible repeats things often because we're slow learners. Look what it says in James 4, 8, and 9. Wash your hands, you sinners. Your hands has to do with actions that you've done. Wash your hands, you sinners, and let your hearts be filled with God alone to make them pure and true to Him. Your heart has to do with attitudes and thoughts. So what he's saying is, get cleaned up. Get your acts cleaned up, your hands cleaned up, your thoughts cleaned up. And then look what it says in verse 9. Let there be tears for the wrong things you've done. If you want to learn how to get along with other people, avoid arguments, have more peace in your life, then we've got to learn to ask for forgiveness. If your wife says, you hurt my feelings, don't turn around and say, well, if I hurt your feelings. I, I get so sick of this. Athletes or whoever, Hollywood stars, they'll say something stupid, and then they'll come back and they'll say, well, if I offended anyone, I'm sorry. If you hadn't offended someone, you wouldn't be apologizing. Right? So don't go, if I, if I offended you. No. You've offended them. That's why there's a problem in the relationship. Just own up to your part. 
And some of you are going, but it was just 1% my fault and 99% their fault. Well, then you still have a percentage point that you need to deal with. And, and if you want to be humble, um, <laughs> James 4.10 says, when you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on Him, He will lift you up and give you honor. Okay, there is a cost to Jesus Christ honoring you. You know what it is? It's, it's me bowing down and saying, oh, God, I don't deserve you. And then he says, if you really want the grace of God in your life, you go to another human being who's created in the image of God and you humble yourself and you say to that person, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? The promise of Scripture is when we bow before God and we're humble before other people, He'll lift us up. God doesn't want to keep you on the ground. I don't know where that image of God came from. He's not one that wants to beat you down. But when you are in a position that you can receive His blessing, the Bible says, then He'll lift you up. So I want you to think back to these desires. Take your registration cards. Fill out the front. And then I want to just remind you of of these desires that we talked about. The desire to have, the desire to feel, the desire to be known. And I want you to think about which desire do you struggle with the most? Is it stuff? I just want stuff. Then, then you write down the desire to have. If it's, you know, you, this pride thing, then it's the desire to be known. If it's pleasure, if you're struggling with that, it's the desire to feel. And then right now, I want you to figure out which of the four steps you need to do. Is it right now you need to give God control because there's this war within your heart? Then you write down, give God control. Recognize the enemy. You think you've been fighting with another human being, but that's not it. You need to realize that your enemy is the enemy of God, and he wants to destroy you and your relationship. You move towards God. Maybe you've not read your Bible in a long time. Maybe you've not... You say, oh, I'm too busy. Well, then you're too busy. If you're too busy to read your Bible, you're too busy. Maybe you need to cut some things out. You try reading the Bible five minutes a day for the next seven days, and then ask people around you if they've noticed any difference in your attitude. What do you think they'll say? You spend five minutes a day praying. Not, not praying selfishly, but saying, God, I need, I need you in my life. And you watch how your attitude will change. And you watch how people around you react to you. Because it will be different. Or do you need to ask someone for forgiveness? Now, that person you were thinking about earlier, got their name in their face? Are you willing to try these things with them? If you want to avoid arguments and have a better life, less stress and turmoil and conflict, will you go and try these things with that person? And if the answer is no, what does that say about you? Where you are spiritually, where you are in maturity, what does that say about you?